coming up on the Dr. John Deloney Show. I am uh, now in my third week of me and my wife being separated for the second time. I wasn't sticking to the AA meetings that she asked me to do. Normally, it's not the alcohol. It's the person you become when you drink. Woo! What's up? This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show. So glad that you're with us. And I, God, I don't know why I'm yelling. It's a pretty normal, chill day. Uh, so happy to see you. That's what it is. I'm happy to see you. Happy to be talking with you. Hope you're doing well. If you want to be on the show, give me a buzz at 1-844-693-3291. That's 1-844-693-3291. Or go to johndeloney.com slash ask, A-S-K. Um, what you guys get when it comes to um, a finished product is not at all. Like, I'm just not that good. Is, and you're like, well, I don't think you're good anyway. Agreed. But you don't see what it really looks like before Sarah, the editing guru back there, gets on it. And I don't know why. I used to say diarrhea a lot, and I don't because Kelly would just bow her head in sadness. And so the word, there's, okay, this is how it works. I, my head's talking. And the words I'm going to say to a given situation head out the building. And then there's a filter that says you can't say that in public. Um, Or it says, like, uh, your grandmother will come back from the grave and haunt you if those words leave your mouth. And so there's just, like, a stockpile of words over here on the side that automatically just insert themselves. And I don't know how those words get there. Um, But for some reason, when something drives me crazy— I don't, I've never had, I don't think I've, I don't think so. I don't think, you would know. Do you know if you have hemorrhoids? I don't think I've had them. Anyway, I'm looking at the booth and they're all, everyone's putting their head down like, dude, we're not going to talk about hemorrhoids together. And there's the family. Hey, hey. But I, like when something drives me crazy, I start to say something that's inappropriate and then it just comes out. That just gives me hemorrhoids. And so right before the show, I was talking, we were talking about a segment that Sarah has edited that's so, she's just a, a master at making me look coherent, which, Again, you're getting that product that's finished, right? You should see it beforehand. And I just said, you were like, you were this show's preparation age. And I meant that as a great compliment. It did not, it's not a compliment the way I said it. So I'm going to retract that you're not preparation age. You're an extraordinary editor. And I'm glad that you're in our gang. Is that a better way to say that? There you go. Way to go, everybody. Listen, just as this is a, 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 Friendly tip from John to you, from me to you. If somebody in your life does something great and you turn to compliment them and your compliment is going to be, you are an anti-itch cream. Come up with a different, come up with a different, um, come up with a different um, way to honor somebody. <laughs> and for sure, I'm getting Sarah a shirt that just says, I am preparation H. And I just want her to explain that to her neighborhood. All right, let's go to Lauren in Salt Lake City. No more talking about hemorrhoids. What's up, Lauren? Hey, Dr. John. I'm excited to be talking to you and hopefully not about hemorrhoids. Oh, thank God. I, right when I said that, I looked up to see what the call was about just because who knows man, on this show? Who knows? All right, good. Right. I am not qualified to talk about hemorrhoids. How about that? So what's up? So I'm wondering, in a really busy season of life, how do I figure out which mental health and relationship practices and habits I should prioritize and which ones I should temporarily let go of a little bit? That's a great question. So tell me some more about that. What what season of life are you in? There's a few things. I'm studying for the bar. Oh, gosh. Hey, stop weeks. right there. Stop right there. Nothing. Everything else goes away. <laughs> goes away. That's hard. How far, how far along? W- when do you take the exam? Is it about a month away? Yeah, it's end of July, so like six weeks away. Okay. So when, we're, we're, when this episode comes out, it'll be right before you take the bar. Um, right. Okay. So <laughs> I've had a ringside seat to that. That's a lot. What else? Um, I have, we have two children. One of them is two years old. One of them is two months old. Oh my, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's fantastic. Okay. So you got two maniacs. It's a great time to be studying for the bar. What else? Yeah. Um, that's pretty much it. My husband works full time. Um, I'm dealing with some 
symptoms of postpartum depression and a lot of my, a lot of the things that like my therapist and my midwife recommend are similar things to what you recommend on this show, like making time for yourself, getting exercise, getting sleep, all of those good things. But I feel like I'm not giving myself a fair shot because I just don't have time to do every single one. And I need to figure out like which ones are most important. Gotcha. Okay. I love, love, love this question. Um, here are three, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm rattling these things off, but here are three things that guide that choice for me. Okay. And I'll walk you through each of them and then we can get real specific about your situation. The first one is data. And I didn't believe this, but the truth is what you want to improve or what you want to change, you got to measure it. And for instance, I'm using my friend, Dr. Lane Norton's Carbon app, C-A-R-B-O-N. I get, I have no affiliation with it. I got no nothing with it other than it's a app to help you lose weight, a ha- app to help you gain control over your food. And it's incredible because I thought I was super attuned to my body. I thought I was super attuned to what my body needed. Turns out I was off by about 1,500 calories a day. I just was way off and I was wrong. And I only know that because of data. I wore um, one of those uh, heart rate variability devices for a while. It was great for me. I'd wake up and be like, dude, I crushed it last night. I had a great night of sleep. And it would say, hey, you need to go back to bed. Do not work out today. And other days I woke up thinking, man, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And it would say, hey, your body is primed, ready to rock and roll. Go run 10 miles. And so data is really important. Sometimes if you don't have devices, data can be just as simple as getting a note card and writing down, here's the things I want to get done today. Here's the things I need to get done today. And just checking them off. Am I doing the things that I need to get done today? Okay, so that's number one. Number two is other people. And it sounds like that's one that is important for you. I am a terrible judge of my own emotional state sometimes. I can feel like I'm in a great mood and my wife will tell me, hey, you're not okay and you're heading into a season that I've seen before. How can I, how, what do you need from me in this season? Because I see where we're going and I don't like that. When my buddies call me, I'm like, hey man, we've checked out a couple of things or we're, I'm worried about you. Like those things drive me crazy, but also it's a great data point that I don't have. And then the third one is um, over time, listening to my body. And not trying to fight myself all the time. What I mean by that is there's some days I just need to sleep. Uh, Yesterday I had a big workout planned and I woke up and I've been on the road. And before that I was on the road and before that I was on the road. And what I needed a lot yesterday was two more hours of sleep. So I stayed in bed. And I have to deal with the shame of that and the you loser and whatever. And Instagram's going to say grind it up, all that stuff. But I need to sleep. And I ended up having a much, much better day. You see what I'm saying there? So those are the three things that, 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 get me through that help me decide which which things I need to be doing, whether it's resting, whether it's meditating, whether it's getting with people and hanging out with people, whether it's eating better, whether whatever the thing is, exercising. So I tell you all that to tell you this. Your body does not do a good job of differentiating between physical stress and psychological stress. That's why hard charging CEOs will work 14 hour days And then they want to run a marathon on top of that and they just drop dead. Or their physiological age is 65 and their physical age, like their birthday is, they're only 42 years old. And so what I would tell you is you are in two of the most stressful situations a human being can put themselves in other than a wartime or like a police officer getting shot at. And you're doing them all at the same time. And that is having two kids, two or under, and taking the bar. Do you recognize how hard that is? I think so. I think you do intellectually. I don't think you fully (laughs) wrapped your head around how stressed your body actually is. Tell me I'm crazy. I don't think you're crazy. Okay. My guess is you are a great law student and you are looking around at all of your classmates taking this exam. And so you just think, okay, we'll just keep walking. And you've got two little kids and you've got some friends who are parents of young kids. Anyway, you're just taking the next step and the next step. I need you to just acknowledge, just for a minute, you are under extraordinary stress. Cool? Yeah, I think that's fair. 
And you said something that I want to lean into, and that is this. Your husband's working full-time. Is he available to help out? Are you having to do all this by yourself? I mean, other than, like, being at work 8 to 5, he's great. I mean, the minute he gets home, he's, like, either playing with the kids or cleaning. Like, he doesn't really have much time to himself himself either because he's, like, picking up all the things that I'm not doing. Okay. So here's what I would suggest. Exercise is going to look different from you for you right now. I'm going to tell you it's really important that you move your body. I'm going to tell you that it's really important for you to get outside if you at all can. But I'm also going to tell you don't go running. Don't go run 10 miles. I think you should walk a lot. If you're going to lift weights, do it for 20 minutes and do it light. Okay? Get out and move your body. You don't need to add, quote unquote, more stress. What exercise, what you want that to do right now is to help cycle through those stress hormones that are pumping through your body right now. Because your body knows if you got to pass the bar, you got to pass the bar, you got to pass the bar. And your body knows, got two little kids, got two little kids, got two, right? You see what I'm saying? And so I want exercise yeah. to be something that um, helps. Sleep is just going to be hard to come by. Where I see new moms get buried with the sleep issue is they get anxious and stressed out about how little sleep they're getting. You see what I'm saying? Because I'm supposed to get nine. I'm supposed to get eight hours. I'm supposed to get seven hours. I'm supposed to get eight hours. And that stress is on top of the fact that they're only getting sleep every two hours, right? And so I'd give yourself a break on, I'm just in a funky season right now where I've got a two-month-old and a two-year-old. And I heard this advice with with my friend, uh, Cassie, and she's brilliant at helping students pass the bar. And her slogan was this, let it suck once. Does that, does that ring a bell with you? Yeah. Yes. I just, I don't know. I just want, I feel bad because I feel like I've been saying that the whole time I've been in law school and I just, I want my relationships with my kids, my husband to survive this season. They will. They will. You're at the finish line. I'm asking you this with all sincerity. Are you going to pass the bar? Yeah. Okay. I think you are too. And what that means is there's a finish line coming up here in about 30 days or 45 days. Here's what would be a great thing for you is to sit down with your husband and that y'all can do it tonight after you get the, the little ones to bed. Sit down with your husband and say, all right, we got 45 days to go. Here's what I need. And I need the next 45 days to be all about me and look at him and say, you have been unbelievable through all of this. We got 45 more days to go and you're going to get your wife back. Actually, let's do 50 days because you're going to need a break too. Hope you all have a vacation or something playing on the back end of this thing. Which by the way, yeah. won't be a vacation because you have a three month old at that point, right? And so, you're, but you're going to do the best we can. Maybe uh, parents can come in, whatever. But I want you to map out, here's what I need. I need help with meals. I need help with bedtime, all those things that he does, but I want it down on paper so that your body can relax, okay? And if you have to call in some reinforcements, if you have to hire somebody to help out for the next 30, 45 days as you get through this last kick at the end, do that, okay? Spend the money that even if you don't got, spend the money, figure it out and cut your streaming service, whatever the thing is, cut back if at all possible, get some help, even if it's higher... There's a couple of times my son got hired um, to just go play with little kids while mom or dad was at home, right? So it was like an in-house babysitter kind of thing, but it was just basically a distraction um, so that mom or dad could work from home. And it worked out great for everybody. My son made like five bucks and the kids got to play with a little bit older kid and mom and dad got the time they needed to separate out. But this isn't the moment to redesign your whole wellness plan. You're 45 days out from a major milestone and you're in the middle of chaos with a two, two-year-old and a two-month-old. This is a moment though to say, this is what I need. You got to move your body. You got to eat as good as you can. You got to get some sleep where you possibly can. And if your husband can wake up in the middle of the night and help out, there's 45 days till the finish line. You getting some sleep would be incredible if at all possible. May not be impossible. Breastfeeding, it may be impossible. 
you gotta have some sort of relationship connection, even if that's sitting by on the couch and your husband is holding your hand and holding the back of your neck to say, hey, we're gonna do that for 30 minutes and we're gonna go to bed. Whatever that looks like for y'all. <sighs> then in 45 days, we're gonna circle back to data, other people, and listen to your body. And then we're gonna be intentional about what do we need moving forward? What world are we gonna create post bar when I'm a lawyer, when you're working eight to five, we got two little kids. What world do we wanna create in two years and five years and seven years? And let's reverse engineer that and start working on that right now. But all that to say, pass that bar exam, have it suck one time. Don't have to take it again because you gotta do this whole test prep over again. Connect with those babies and tell your husband exactly what you need over the next 45 days. We're rooting for you. Email me back and let me know when you pass, okay? We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Let's go to Jenny from the block in Saratoga Springs. What's up, Jenny? Hi, Dr. D. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? We are rocking it on, man. What's up? Um, so I guess the short of it is my my grandparents live next door. And they moved somebody into their backyard who, like in a camper in their backyard, who has an addiction problem. And um, I need help figuring out how to protect my family in that whole situation. Because not like, I don't have a problem with people who have addictions, obviously, like that's a whole other Jenny, thing. Jenny, why, why do you hate America? I'm just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I'm piling onto your own shame that you're, yeah, take that off. Um, clearly the, you've identified a safety issue. Okay. Um, yes, that doesn't mean that you, has, that you hate people um, that are, have a, are struggling with addiction. That means right, that you're just trying to right. keep your family safe. Um, yes. so what, what, what about the situation makes you feel unsafe? Um, well, this person stabbed someone. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and Gosh. now he's living in my backyard. So. Oh, there's that. Jeez. Talk right. about overly sensitive, Jenny. <laughs> um, yeah. I, uh, so uh, what's the, what's the addiction? Heroin. <laughs> Gosh. So, uh, I have been accused of being overly compassionate. And I've been accused of being full of leftist propaganda because my default setting is to love people and to welcome them into my house rather than yes. kick them out. I totally get that. And 100%. I would not be okay if a violent heroin addict moved into my grandparents' <laughs> house next door to me in a camper. Yeah. I got little kids. Do y'all have kids? Exactly where I'm at. I have a three-year-old, yes. Okay. So what is the connection between your grandparents and this this um, this backyard resident? Um, he is the grandchild of their friends. And his, so his grandparents passed away. So I think that they feel like they owe it to his grandparents to like take care of him. Okay. Hmm. All right, so this situation is one of those that most of us will not have um, stabbing heroin addicts living next door to us, <laughs> um, part, particularly in our grandparents' backyard in a camper. But this is yeah. one of those outside the bell curve situations that we all deal with, especially when it comes to family. And that is setting up boundaries that are that are pretty firm. And so... I think it's you and your husband sitting down and is, is dad in the picture? I just assumed yes. that I shouldn't do that. Okay. Dad's in the picture. It's y'all sitting down and saying, um, where are our boundaries here? And boundaries may be as long as that person is living next door, us and our kids will not go to my grandparents' house. We refuse to go over there. Um, if this person is somebody you can have a conversation with, it might be saying, Hey, um, we understand that you're living here for a, a season in my grandparents' backyard. Um, it's not okay for you to come over to our house. Or maybe you wait until that person does try to come over to your house. Say, hey, this is private property. We'd prefer if you don't come on to our, our house. Is that conversation awkward? Absolutely. 
Is it hard and ugly and messy? Absolutely. Um, might your grandparents revolt and say, well, then forget you. And I'm going to leave our house and all my money to this, this guy in the back. Maybe, but it comes down to a safety conversation that you and your husband feel safe. You could also get together with your husband and say, Hey, we're going to go knock on this person's door and invite them out to coffee around our fire pit and say, ask them what's been going on in their life. And if there's y'all can decide what that is, right? But it's y'all right. get on the same page and then, there's the hard part, communicating that to your grandparents with respect and dignity, not just lobbing grenades, right? Have you talked to them? Yes. I um, I went over there and I said, I was talking, my grandfather is like 90% deaf in one ear and he can't hear any of the other one. So he was watching the race with his headset on, so he couldn't hear me. And I was talking to my grandmother, which is an easier conversation. Yes. <laughs> and so I was like, hey, grandma, like, do we have a timeline on how long this guy is going to be living out back? Um, and she was like, no, I don't really think he does either. And I was like, Oh, that's, you know, like, what are we going to do about that? If that turns into a problem, <laughs> well, it turns, she it was like, it will turn into said, forever. Yeah. That's what I'm afraid of. And she said, um, that's the thing about, cause we just bought my, parents house that was my parents house and we just bought it okay um and so she said that's the thing about home ownership you have to learn to live with your neighbors and i just dude hey bit my tongue on Jenny, that one that's I was a like, great grandma <laughs> line right there that's like grandma burn right there <laughs> that's awesome oh dude that's awesome good job for your grandma so here's here's she, grandma just put her boundary down this person's living yeah. here and you need to suck it up and get over it that's not what you wanted to hear, but that's what you got. And so she actually is right. Y'all get to decide what happens next. Are we going to sell mom and dad's house at full market value and head out because we don't want our kids living here? Are we going to wait until there's a problem? Are we going to address it head on? Y'all get to decide what comes next. Just recognize that what comes next is going to be uncomfortable. There's not really a way around that. And just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's wrong. Okay. Right? Um. If I'm in your situation and you've already had the conversation with grandma, probably what I would do is be very proactive about reaching out. I would go meet the person. To the guy? Yes. <laughs> the way you just said it. Unless this person is scary, right? Or completely. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's just like not all there. So okay. I don't know how, I don't even know how that conversation would even go like i'm knocking on a camper in my backyard like hey like that but again <laughs> you want a beer like, <laughs> i mean yeah that, that's probably what i would do quite honestly but um here's another thing you might try is writing your grandparents a letter because your dad your granddad can read that he might not hear it but he can mm -hmm. read it and just say hey i love you i am nervous as your granddaughter living next door to somebody who um, has a violent history and who is making me and our little one feel unsafe. So here's what we're going to do until then. Um, Y'all are welcome to come to our house if you'd like to, um, but we just don't feel safe right now. And if you're going to choose to have this person live in your backyard over us, that's great. That's your home. Um, and write it down because two things happen when you write something down like that. Number one, it helps you. You have to clarify it. Here's what my actual problem is. And we tend to be like, oh, that guy's a... That guy's a conservative. I ain't talking to that. Well, what is the actual problem with the political, right? What are the things that are driving you? It makes you identify it. And then the second thing is it gives the reader an opportunity to read it, have their body respond to it. They're going to get angry. They're going to get self-righteous and whatever. And they can go back to it. And then they can go back to it. And then go back to it. And right. then they can be like, actually, we're choosing this over this. And at least we can have a conversation about it, right? So that would be my recommendation. Write a letter to your grandparents and then move on. The more you pull into your driveway and look over the fence and get raged out and hate and all that, you are going to choose to make your life miserable. And the more you drive and look and you're always scanning, the, your child is going to pick up on that. That three-year-old is going to pick up on that. And they're going to think there's something scary and unsafe about mom and about our house. And I, you're just going to create a cascade there. So, um, yeah, you're in a messy situation. I'm sorry. It's hard. Um, but your grandma's right. Your grandma's right. 
I guess they're allowed to let somebody live in their backyard with a camper, depending on the deed restrictions or wherever y'all live. And y'all have to now make some choices about what y'all's life is going to look like or what life's going to look like moving forward. Hate that y'all got put in that situation. Um, man, I hate that their compassion is may end up costing them their house. I mean, it's going to be hard to evict somebody down the road. All those things sounds like a mess. And um, to be clear, have some good boundaries. And uh, holler back. Something goes sideways. I'd love to hear about it. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Be honest. How often do you find yourself pausing in the middle of a day and it feels like there is so much going on? And you find yourself wondering, what would I do with just a spare hour or 30 minutes? Can you even imagine? And it's in these moments that we often realize we're living someone else's life. Everyone else's schedules, priorities, and emergencies are driving our lives, and we can't keep carrying this load for everyone and everything. And it's in these moments when it feels like too much or when you need some help parsing through all the chaos that talking to a professional therapist can be a game changer. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you have with boundaries, time, commitments, and your own self-worth. And that can be in relationships with your friends, people at work, your significant other, or even how you can make and keep commitments with yourself. Therapy can be amazing for figuring out what even makes you happy anymore and how to go make it happen. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, try BetterHelp. Because therapy isn't just for people who've experienced trauma. It's great for building skills so you can be the best version of yourself. BetterHelp is completely online, so it's flexible enough to fit your schedule. Just fill out a short questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra cost. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Deloney today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Deloney. All right, we are back. Let's go to Ryan. Man, all the way to Fairbanks, Alaska. What's up, Ryan? Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How's uh, how's things? Uh, they've been better, but I can't complain too much. I'm pretty blessed. So tell me what's going on, man. How can I help? So I am now in my third week of me and my wife being separated for the second time. Uh, and sorry. I guess... Where my mind is going on this is I'm starting to feel a disconnect, kind of like my body's telling me or preparing me for more trauma. And I'm just in this mindset of what, where do I go from here? I, I do want to save this marriage, but I'm at the same time, I'm just starting to feel disconnected and I'm kind of lost here, man. Yeah, dude. So what happened, man? Why are y'all separated again? Well, this time, um, do you want me to tell you the first time, or we just want to stick to this one for now? Run me through the first one in 30 seconds or less, and then give me the second one. All right. First time. Um, came back from Afghanistan 2012, became an alcoholic or a weekend alcoholic, and eight years later of being an alcoholic, she finally kicked me out. Okay. Um, second time, I sobered up for October 24, 2020, so I've been sober since then. Um, Congrats, man. This time, well, I appreciate it. Um, this time is, <clears throat> I didn't have it all together financially, and I wasn't sticking to the AA meetings that she asked me to do. Okay. And there's a lot that goes behind that. That's but. right. So, normally, it's not the alcohol. Normally, it's the person, the person, it, it's the person you become when you're drinking. So who are you when you drink? Uh, disconnected, um, emotionally absent. I didn't give her anything that she needed in a marriage when I was drinking. I was just separate, like roommates, okay. go to bed late, never, never present. So you weren't, you're not violent, you're not rageful? No, sir. Okay. So instead of big outbursts, you just slowly over the course of a decade... Um, she just, she just slowly was drowning, right? Right. In isolation. She said, what was it? What was there some big event or she finally just had enough and, and back in, 
20. She has stuck around and really supported me through the last eight years. And I think she just had enough, you know, okay. enough's enough. Yeah. And it was unhealthy and it was time to make a change. So what brought you back together? Well, I believe sobriety had a big play in okay. that. I, you know, I stayed sober for you know, the last 20, 22 months. And you picked a hell of a time to get sober, man. Congratulations. It's been a hard <laughs> season, dude. Uh, if you can get through no this season. Kidding. Wow. Um, when you got sober, did you heal or did you trade? Here's what I mean by that. You come back from Afghanistan, you experienced some stuff, you saw some stuff. Drinking helps that mute that alarm system, right? It works. And then you can go work during the week and stay busy and that helps. And then you can collapse in the evening and do the whole thing up over again. And then you can go through treatment and you can go to AA or whatever, get sober. You can stop putting alcohol in your body. But if you don't go through the process of healing what your body was trying to numb out in the first place, then it just moves to something else. And sometimes that something else is work. Sometimes that something else is Netflix. Sometimes that something else is just staring off into space. Did you heal or did you just trade addictions? I believe I traded addiction for work. Okay. I'm being honest. There was some. No, it's, I appreciate your bravery. Yeah. Yeah, I believe I did. I, I work a lot. And okay. there were some other things going on. I was looking down the barrel of the, the divorce shotgun there, and and it didn't happen, thank God. But it was, there's just a lot of going on, and I was focusing heavily on what she was doing mm-hmm. instead of what I needed to do to heal. That's right. So it sounds like she got back into a relationship with you because alcohol was gone, and she married the same or she got back connected with the same person who showed up and was just unplugged just instead of um, sleeping with alcohol. Now you started sleeping with your job. Is that fair? Yep. Okay. Uh, That's fair. So the hard question I always ask in this situation is, is she interested in staying married? Um, I don't believe she is. Okay. That's been brought up. And the last separation, it was brought up, and I was told I would have paperwork okay. at the end of the next week, and that was 2020. So okay. we're looking at 2022. I'm not sure, honestly, okay. you know, if she could pull the trigger at any point or not. So what do you want to do, man? <laughs> uh, I want, personally, I want to save the marriage. And there's a lot here. We have five kids together. We have a big family and I believe we can build something there. I truly do. But I'm trying to get healed myself. Yeah. At the same time. Has she told you what she needs from you? I believe I've heard her say this. I want to say yes, but there's, I feel like I'm missing information and we just never connect on that level of, what do you truly need from me yeah. and not what are you asking from me? Have you ever gone to see a marriage counselor? Uh, no. Why not? I tried. <laughs> I tried to get her in with one of my counselors and it didn't go very well. And I do have a, I do have a marriage counselor and a trauma counselor scheduled for the end of this month. Okay. So that's on the table, but I, man, she just, she feels done. She yeah. really doesn't want to be here. So here, here's here's what you can do right now. Um, you can look at this as a mission to quote unquote save this marriage. And if you look back over the last 10 years, what you're going to end up doing is trying to solve a puzzle um, that you don't have all the pieces to. And so you're going to end up using a lot of energy you're going to have a lot of worry. You're going to have a lot of expense. You can do a lot of stuff that may not get you where you want to go. You have been a brave man to say the words that when you look in the mirror and you are honest, most of this challenges you for any number of reasons. It might be undealt with childhood trauma. It might be stuff you dealt with 
on mission, it, on deployment, it, who knows what it is. It might be you got home and you got five kids and you feel like you're better at work than you are at home. And so we naturally just going to go where we do things that we're, we're better, right? I've been there. All that to say is you've landed here. And the common denominator moving forward is you. You haven't told me anything that she's cheating on you, that she's an addict too, that you just said like, no, she's just been putting in the time and putting in the time. And finally she just said, I can't, I, I'm, I'm out. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. I mean, there was some infidelity that caused some trauma on her part. She but. cheated on you? Yes. Okay. All right. So she's not bl- blameless in this deal either, right? Neither one of us are. Okay. All right. So there's two things moving forward, man. One is you coming up with a clear, detailed plan on how Ryan's life is going to be different. Not how your marriage is going to get saved. Not how your wife and you are going to... How Ryan's life is going to be different. And the cool thing about that is, or the sucky thing is, is you play a role in it. The cool thing is you can work on that. And that might be as simple as, I'm going to turn the TV off. I'm going to start getting some sleep. I'm going to start getting some exercise. I'm going to get a group of guys together. I'm going to go see a therapist, ASAP. Those are all things that are going to help you become a better husband, a better father, a better employee, a better man, a better citizen. It may be that part of who I want to become is I want to become solvent financially. I'm going to get out of debt and stop being an idiot with my money. I'm going to learn new things, and then I'm going to implement these new things. And so it's just a matter of getting on a plan, right? Hang on the line, and, I'll, and I'll, I'm going to put you on a plan for free. I'll pay for it, okay? Um, it may be I'm going to get a group of books, and I'm going to get a group of guys, and we're going to start reading books. And I'm going to st- I want you to stand on the line. I'm going to send you a couple of books you can read too. Okay, all these things have one common denominator, and that is you focusing on you getting well for the first time in a long time. Hear what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Second thing is this. Um, You may have heard me say this on the show. It's my favorite marriage metaphor when you get to these moments. What is in the past is in the past, and there's a period at the end of that sentence. Where most of us who try to fix our marriages or improve our marriages or save our marriages, and I've been there, is what we try to do is go back to remember when we didn't have any kids and how awesome it was. We were having sex all the time and we had money to spend and we were running around the country and running around the world. And we have that picture in our head and then we try to superimpose that picture over five kids, infidelity, alcoholism, and we try to make that work again. Mm-hmm. And what we have to do is let that go. And so the analogy is you could not go down to downtown New York and sweep up all the glass and twisted steel and recapture all the natural gas and, re- and, and get all the drywall back and rebuild the Twin Towers. You can't do it. That thing, they fell. There's a period at the end of that sentence as hard as that is to say out loud. The only thing we can do moving forward is get some crews in there to excavate the whole thing, get with an architect or a couple of architects, draw something new. What do we want this thing to look like? Get with a set of engineers and some construction teams to build something that's arguably more beautiful and stronger and build something completely new. That's the only option you have. Or just to move on and let it decay, right? So the question for you and your wife is not, hey, we want to fix the marriage and save it. It is, I'm interested in building something completely and totally new. Are you in? And that's, the limbo right now is killing you. The limbo right now is killing her. And quite honestly, the limbo right now is killing your kids. And I think it's time for a breakfast. After you detail all the things you're going to do and you put the plan down, is to say, hey, do you want to build something new? What was, was... Do you want to build something new with me? Because if you do, I'm all in. And if not, we need to do the paperwork now and we need to move on. Is that fair? Yes, sir. As hard as it is to hear, it's sort of needed. Do you, do you, were were you in a combat? Yes, sir. Okay. You know the difference between when the sirens sound and that gap before confrontation. That's the worst part, right? It is. That's where you are, and that's where you've been for a while. There is no engagement, but you know something's coming. 
And what may be coming may be um, reconnection and revisiting and rebuilding something magic, something great, or it may be the end. It may be termination. But you're in that gap. The sirens are sounding and they have been for a long time and there's just no bullets flying yet. And at some point, somebody's got to pull a trigger. And I'm kind of beating this metaphor up, but at some point you got to sit down and you'll go to IHOP down the street or wherever you go in Fairbanks, Alaska and say, <laughs> um, I don't know if you get a moose burger or something. I don't know. But you go sit down. No, we have those. <laughs> of course you do. That'd be, so, be incredible. Somebody listening to this, send me some moose meat, man. I'm, I'm all in. Um, <laughs> but you go sit down and say, hey, Use that same metaphor I just gave you. We can't, you can't go rebuild 9-11, the, the Twin Towers. They fell. Are you in to build something new? And if you're not, let's call it as hard as that is. Let's be adults about this and let's love and honor these five kids through this. Um, or let's start from ground zero and get the professionals around us that we need to build something beautiful. Are you in on that? I am. All right. Here's what I'm going to send you to help you get going either way. I'm going to send you a year's subscription to Ramsey Plus. That's my friend Dave Ramsey. He's got that Financial Peace University. It's millions and millions of people have used it to get out of debt. I'm going to send it to you. Also comes with the apps and that connects to your bank and all the stuff, all the bells and whistles. Okay. I want you to use that thing and I want you to watch all the videos on that deal. And if she'll watch them with you, that'll be amazing. Okay. That's number one. And make your kids watch them too. Why not? Number two, I'm going to send you my new book which is Own Your Past, Change Your Future. And what that book is, is here's all the stuff, and now we're at the turning point. Here's all the crap. Now we have to ask ourselves that one terrifying question, what do we do now? And it is a step-by-step to walk yourself out of a wellness plan. Okay? I'm going to send you that. I'm also going to send you Total Money Makeover, which is Dave's book that helps with that. Okay? And I want you to commit to reading those books. Let your wife know as a part of your plan moving forward, you're going to read those books, okay? So hang on the line here, brother. Um, I, let me just ask, are you all in? I'm all in. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Let me know how this conversation goes. And by the way, if she won't have this conversation, she won't have breakfast with you, I want you to sit down at a computer and type out a long letter to her that explains all this in it. She may not okay. give you an audience now. Hopefully she does. Hopefully she'll be an adult and you can be an adult and y'all can just go have breakfast together. If she won't, write it out. Write her a letter and say, here's where I'm at. Here's the things I'm going to do. Here's that picture of the Twin Towers. And here's what I want to do moving forward. We got to scratch and clear the surface and build something brand stinking new. You deserve that. She deserves that. Those five kids deserve that. And I'm here to tell you, I've seen it done. It's a lot of work, man. But I was in New York a few weeks ago doing media. Man, and the monument they've built and the new tower they've built is something to behold. It can be done. Y'all are worth it. Go get it. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up? Deloney here. Listen, you and me and everybody else on the planet has felt anxious or burned out or chronically stressed at some point. In my new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, you'll learn the six daily choices that you can make to get rid of your anxious feelings and be able to better respond to whatever life throws at you so you can build a more peaceful, non-anxious life. Get your copy today at johndeloney.com. All right, we are back. Um, I got this email that I I usually don't uh, respond to these, but... This is one that I wanted to touch on here. Here's what the email says. Um, it's uh, This is condensed, but it says, I'd like to know what depression is. This is from Joshua. It says, I'd like to know what depression is. And he even put depression in quotation marks and then wrote, is it real? He goes on to say, from my experience, I see people that are what I would call sad and they say they're depressed and use it as a crutch. Oh, Joshua. So, um, yes, depression is very, very real. It's a physiological concept. It's a biochemical um, process in the human body. Depression is very, very real. 
Um, it runs on a spectrum. Some is the compression of feelings, the chemical and spiritual stress from holding back childhood uh, traumas or neglect, all the way to the deep, dark, black hole, the inability to move or function, psychosomatic functioning, right? Body pains, etc. It's very, very real. And some experience it in, in some ways um, deeper, if you will, than others. Um, the, the DSM, which I'm not a fan of, but it does do some good descriptive stuff. Basically, depression is, are, is your body shutting you down in a way that um, inhibits normal functioning, right? Um, depression lies to us. It tells us that things are always going to be this way. Things are your fault and nothing you can do will change your situation. And so over time, your body just begins to compress down, stop. Um, it can loop on people, which makes you feel helpless. I can't do anything about this. Hopeless. This is always going to happen. And then here's the bad one is the burdensomeness. People would be better if I wasn't here. It begins to distort the way we see and feel reality. Depression, Joshua, is more than just sadness in response to struggles or setbacks. Depression changes your perception and the way you feel, the way you see the world and experience the world, um, bringing you feelings of emptiness and doom. It impacts the way you sleep, the way you work, the way you eat, the way you enjoy life or don't enjoy life, the way you don't eat, the way you don't work, etc. And yes, Josh, I've met with countless people, especially when I was working in university. Students would come say, hey, my, I just failed the test. And I needed to pass this test. I, my mom just moved out on my dad. Um, and they would say, I'm just depressed. And I would say, you're not depressed. You're sad. You're really, really sad. And then in a month, two months, three months, they circle back and they say, hey, I haven't eaten. I've lost 30 pounds. I can't breathe. I'm unable to sleep. Every moment I wake up, I open my eyes, I, I start counting the minutes so I can close them again and moving my, I feel like I'm doing life with a weight vest on. That is an instant. I need you to go see a counselor. I absolutely, pe people say anxiety's never killed anybody, right? Panic attacks never killed anybody. You just got to ride those, you got to ride that wave. Depression does kill people a lot. Absolutely it does. So um, depression looks different across gender and across culture. Um, a, a lot of men express depression by pounding their chests and saying, look at me. Um, it's, it's called the one up position. It's just, it's a physiological thing. They will, they will sometimes bow up. Um, this is a, a, a gender generalization, but women often show depression by one down, right? Um, they latch to the bottom of a family or relationship and they put everybody's needs ahead of their own and they just ride out as slow as they can um, underneath the water. And both of those are expressing the same powerlessness feeling there. Sometimes it's stomach aches, numbing out, um, back pains, irritability, frustration, and aggression, especially in young kids. A great primer I'm going to point you to Andrew Huberman's podcast, the Huberman Lab podcast, and you can scroll down and find he's got an incredible biochemical. He gets way into the neurochemicals and the the um, neurotransmitters and the neuromodulator, all the stuff, the chemical process of depression. It's about a two-hour podcast. It's incredible if you want to go down a rabbit hole. But to answer this question broadly, Yes, depression is very, very real. And if you have found yourself in a situation where you are unable to function, you do not feel or express or see joy anymore. You are unable to laugh. Your body doesn't respond in those. You just have are running low. Or more importantly, you feel like the world would be better if you just weren't here. Or you, want, you don't want to die. You just want the pain to stop because I hurt. Please call somebody. And Joshua, if you know somebody in that situation, friends say something. Loved ones get in the middle of that and say, hey, you play a role here. You got a purpose here. I'm going to call in everybody I can to keep you alive and to help you heal. Depression's for real. 
It's for real. So thanks for the email, man. Um, here, let me just, uh, uh, I had some notes there. I was reading my notes there about depression. This is, I don't have these notes. Let's don't get into the, into the game, people, to diagnose each other or to not diagnose each other. If somebody says they're struggling, then they're struggling. Whether it's depression or sadness, who cares? Somebody's hurting in your life. Lean into that. They just need to suck it up and move on. Man, be wrong on that once and see what, ha- what happens. It's not something to be wrong on. Lean into them and say, hey, everybody is helped by moving their body. Everybody. Everybody's helped by having good, close relationships. Every, everybody's helped by sleep. Everybody's helped by having somebody they can check in with and talk to. Everybody's helped by eating well, right? Those are all basic things that whether someone's quote-unquote got sadness or someone's quote-unquote got depressed. So, dude, Josh, don't play armchair quarterback. Somebody says, hey, I'm really depressed. Say, have you gone to talk to anybody about that? Lean into that connection. Don't disconnect and be like, that's not what that is. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Or if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm really sad because uh, somebody I love passed away or because me and my wife aren't talking or don't immediately jump to like, well, it sounds like you've got major depression. No, don't do that either. Sit with people. And if they need someone to talk to, be that encouraging voice and send them to talk to somebody. All right, that's my, that's my thing. I just, man, armchair, armchair diagnose, diagnostic, diagnosticians drive me crazy. Armchair diagnosticians drive me crazy. Anyway, all right. So today's it's just Kelly's favorite song in the world, actually. Um, she just brought these lyrics in during the break, and the song by, is by one of her favorite songwriters, Anderson East. And I don't know whether to take this personal or not, but the title of the song is "I Hate You." <laughs> the lyrics go like, "There's not a better song for Kelly. I don't know what it is." This is Kelly's um, expression of her feelings towards me in her song, I Hate You. And it goes like this. What did this all start about? Because this ain't how it started out. You should have stuck with alcohol, but you had to have that Adderall. Dang, Kelly. And now you're crying in the parking lot with heels in your hands, saying, I'm the one who's not making any sense. As much as I hate you, please don't ever leave me. I won't, Kelly. Don't, don't know what I'd do if you ever followed through. You said that we're over, but can we talk when we're sober? Because, baby, I love you. Baby, I love you. I'm married, Kelly. More than I hate you. As much as I hate you. I love you. I love you, too. We'll see you soon. Coming up on the next episode. Over the time that we had lived together, the environment that I was living in with her just became really unsafe. What does that mean? One of the roommates threatened to shoot up drug dealers. And then the drug dealers came back and said, we're going to shoot up everyone in your entire house. So sometimes I talk to folks and they're like, it's just not safe. There's Cheetos everywhere. Then there's, uh, it's not safe because someone's going to murder us. Boy, long distance polyamorous boyfriend is now moving in. Okay. So there are going to be two boyfriends living in the house. We're terrified our kids are going to be molested. The idea that because they are all dating means they're more likely to sexually assault and molest a child isn't accurate.